Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Little, and I'm here today with the 71st episode of Weekly Poker Hand. And today we're going to take a look at another hand from the 2015 World Series of Poker main event final table. So this was somewhat early in the day. I believe we were. this was hand 19, I think, of the main event. And before we get started, I want to make it clear that this player in the small blind, who I have listed incorrectly, is not here. The small blind's actually on Buteroni, big blind's on Blumenfield, but I messed it up typing it in. So it doesn't really matter for this hand, but just be aware of that. So Buteroni in this hand has seven big blinds, which is a very short stack. So all the other players, especially the players with 30 and 40 big blinds, really don't want to go broke, don't want to go broke before Buteroni. However, the payout structure of the World Series of Poker main event is actually really flat, meaning that... Well, it's it's flat in the beginning, and then it really rack, uh, really goes up towards the end. So I believe ninth place was something like 1 million, 8th place was 1.1 million, 7th place was 1.2 million. So really, there's not a significant difference between ninth place and 7th place. I mean, you may think $100,000 is a lot of money, but it's actually only 10 buy-ins, whereas the difference between ninth and 1st is 800 buy-ins. So clearly, there's big jumps towards the end. So what that means is you actually do need to be somewhat prone to gamble to try to get the top few spots. So anyway, in this hand, it folds around to Steinberg, who has 40 big blinds. Canuli in the, well, Steinberg's in the hijack. Canuli in the cutoff has 22 big blinds. McKeon on the button, who was playing fairly aggressively, although this was early at the final table, so players probably don't know his strategy, but gauging from the people he had on the rail watching him, and also just gauging from his style in general and his big stack, he should be very aggressive because he wants to push around the other stacks. He has um, 140 big blinds. Um, small blind Buderoni has seven big blinds. Big blind Blumenfield has 60 big blinds. So, falls around to Steinberg. He likes to raise with pocket eights, which I think is perfectly fine. But then McKeon re-raises. So, it goes 1,200 at 250,500. It's actually 250,500,000, but we're not going to use these giant numbers. We're going to make it easy on ourselves. Always try to make things easy on yourself. Um, folds around. So, Steinberg makes it 1,200. McKeon makes it 2,800 on the button. Folds back around to Buderoni, he folds, and now Steinberg has to decide if he wants to call, shove, re-raise small, or fold. First off, I do not think re-raise small to maybe 6,000 is a good idea, because if you get jammed on by McKeon, you're in a miserable spot, and you probably have to call it off, but that's not really what you want to do. So I think you either want to be shoving here, which is a big shove, or, uh, I guess it's worth mentioning, Steinberg has 20,000, so he'd be shoving 20,000 over the 2,800 re-raise. He could call... Or it could fold. Folding seems incredibly nitty. Uh, your hand is great, and we have to expect McKeon to be somewhat light here. And calling is okay, but what's going to happen very often after the flop is an overcard or two is going to flop. You're going to check, and your opponent's going to bet. And he's very likely going to continue barreling on the turn. So I don't really think you want to call in this spot. You're going to have a very difficult time after the flop against any sort of a competent player. So let's see how shoving is. And you can actually do this using a program called ICMizer. You can get your copy of it at jonathanlittlepoker.com slash ICM. This is actually a paid program. It is well worth the money if you play multi-table tournaments and want to get good at these types of situations. They actually all have a sit-and-go coach feature, which is way more than a sit-and-go coach. It actually teaches you how to play any short stack scenario with multi-table tournament payouts, too. So you can load up a 1,500-person multi-table tournament, you know, which has a very different structure than a sit-and-go, and it will effectively teach you how to play any shove or fold spot. So it's a pretty sweet program. Um, anyway, in this hand, I've already entered in all the relevant information. I, I entered the prize payouts. As you can see, if we look at ninth place, eighth place, seventh place, sixth place, they're all effectively the same. 
all 4 4.4%, 4.4%, 4.8% of the prize pool, all the way up to first place being 30%. If we compare that to something like the Sunday Million payout, for example, you'll see first place is only 15% of the prize pool there. Actually, it's a little bit different because um, a lot of the payout, this is only the final table payouts, but... If you take a look at 9th, 8th, 7th, they actually jump up a significant amount. It goes 0. 0.77, 1.2, 2.5, 3.1. So they jump up very quickly. Whereas at this final table, they actually don't. So this is a slightly abnormal structure. And I hope that every person who has made this final table got a coach and they taught them these things because this is very important. So now what I entered here is I entered all everyone's stack size. And now it goes fold, fold, fold. We're the hero with pocket eights. Our hand actually doesn't matter. We're going to see what we need to do with our whole range. We raise to 1,200. Then the button re-raises to 2,800. And now you have to enter in what you think the button's range is. Well, first off, you can actually click here and you can give him a range. So what hands do we think he's re-raising? I think he's probably going to be calling a lot of the marginal hands. Oh, so actually, so there are two ranges here. This is his re-raising range, and then the other one's going to be his call-off range. So I don't think he's going to be re-raising with these middle-strength hands to start with. I think he's probably going to be way more prone to call these. So I think he's going to be calling a lot of the middle-strength hands, re-raising the nut hands. These are effectively nut hands. So I think he's going to then call a lot of the other middle-strength stuff. But we see him re-raising 8-7 offsuit, right? So that sort of implies he's re-raising hands like this. Although it's hard to know exactly how many of these he's re-raising. And he's probably re-raising some of the weaker suited connectors, like these. This would be my rough guess, if I had to guess his range. Maybe he's re-raising these hands. But if you watch the final table, clearly he was getting out of line. So I think we're just going to enter what I think is the actual scenario we're looking at here. And not the hypothetical one that probably Steinberg prepared for. But you have to recognize, whenever you're the middle stack, and the big stack is competent, and McKeon's certainly competent, he is going to be re-raising a fairly wide range in the spot. So let's give him this range. This is going to be his re-raising range. Looks very wide. I recognize this, but it's a nice balanced range. Well, balanced in that it has good hands and bad hands, but it's obviously skewed towards bluffs, as it should be. And now we just have to enter the hands he should call off with. We have already done that. It's just going to be the premium hands. So now we can click calculate. There's actually this feature, FGS, Future Game Simulations, which takes into account the future blinds you're going to have to pay in the near future because that does change things. We can click calculate, and it's going to now do a little bit of calculations and tell us which hands Steinberg should be shoving and which hands he should be folding. And wow, interestingly enough, if, well, the reason this is the case is McKeon should be, if he's three betting that range I just gave him, he's three betting so many bluffs. So in theory, Steinberg had a profitable shove here with any two cards, which is pretty sick to think about. And especially Pocket 8s. Pocket 8s is going to win him $89,000. Pretty good shove. Um, so what if McKeon's not re-raising so wide? What if he's re-raising a little bit more discipline than this? To be fair, though, I, we did see him re-raising 8-4 um, offsuit later in this final table. So clearly he's getting after it. Perhaps let's make it more like this. So a little bit tighter. This is probably more what a reasonable, aggressive player would be re-raising. Something like this, but... Seems a little tight to me. <laughs> we can still um, try to figure out how much shoving or folding is going to win him. And remember, this does account for the short stack, right? So I know you're trying to outlast a short stack, but given the payouts and the payout implications, um, it, the program's saying it really just does not matter. Your opponent's range is so incredibly wide if he's re-raising with a lot of bluffs that you can justify jamming anything. 
So now, if he's re-raising this, uh, raising this tighter range and calling off just way more often, we can see that eights is actually a fold. So this is a really tough spot for McKeon. Notice that if his opponent's really wide, as he was, shoving is great. And shoving any two cards is great. Your hand is actually not really the overriding consideration. The main overriding consideration here is your opponent's re-raise. You'll find that in most final table scenarios, there's one or two overriding factors that will really uh, sway your play one way or the other. So again, if McKeon's range is somewhat tight, the very premium hands, pocket tens are better, ace, queen are better, then just a few bluffs like 10-9 offsuit, 10-8 offsuit, 8-7 offsuit, ace-x suited, your play becomes a much closer spot and even negative EV. So this is a crappy spot. The question then becomes, could Steinberg have foreseen this situation before it happened? And given the way these chips are laid out and the fact that there's a very short stack and a deep stack is on the button, I think Steinberg should have seen this coming. I think that this is a scenario where you have to look ahead and plan ahead and recognize that if this guy is in position here, he should be re-raising me a lot. If I assume McKeon's competent, he should be re-raising with the wide range because as we just saw using ICMizer, again, you can get it at jonathanlittlepoker.com slash ICM, you can't really do too much about this because shoving pocket eights is actually slightly negative EV against a tight range and then reasonably profitable against a loose range, but you don't know what range McKeon actually has. That's the problem. There's a lot of guessing involved. Um, I guess it's worth mentioning, you can do three free calculations per day with this program, even if you do not decide to buy it. So check that out. Um, so what could Steinberg have done? He could have folded preflop, but that would be super tight. But he also could have limped. And I think limping is something that very few people do at final tables. But the game has evolved such that the guy on the button knows to re-raise wide, right? And there's not a whole lot you can do about it besides jam it all in for a lot of chips and accept a huge amount of variance. So to take advantage of that and to recognize that you can't do too much in this situation, you should limp instead in Steinberg spot. I realize you let the blinds see a free flop or whatever, but your hand is very good. Your hand has a lot of equity. It's you know not, not going to flop amazingly well, but it's going to flop well enough. And if you limp and uh, McKeon raises, you can then easily call, see a flop, and realize some of your equity a decent amount of the time. Usually you could limp, call pre-flop, check call flop, and then see what develops. And unless McKeon's just bonkers, he's probably not going to barrel off no problem. So kind of an interesting spot where I think that if Steinberg ran the numbers ahead of time, he would have seen that with all of your hands besides your nut hands and your bluffs, you probably want to be limping. So he needs to develop a limping range, in my mind, with pretty much all of these hands that cannot reasonably raise and go all in. So that's going to be stuff like ace-jack suited, ace-10 suited, ace-9 suited. You know, these are hands that are traditionally good, right? Like pocket sixes, pocket fives, pocket nines, jack-10 offsuit, jack-9 offsuit, jack uh, queen-9 offsuit, ace-10 offsuit. These are hands that you could limp. You could limp this whole range of medium-strength hands. And then if your opponent raises, you can easily call. You could also just develop a purely limping range where you're limping everything. So like, don't even raise pocket aces. Just limp those so that whenever he does raise your limp, it's not the end of the world. But you'll find that if you limp in this spot and you're willing to defend your limps reasonably wide, it's a pretty sweet spot because your opponent can't really do too much about it because your range should be significantly stronger than whatever they are going to be doing. Because if you're playing like the top 20% of hands, then your range is certainly strong. So that's going to be it for this episode of Weekly Poker Hand. If you have any questions about this, definitely let me know. You can follow me on Twitter at Jonathan Little. And remember to go get your copy of ICMizer at jonathanlittlepoker.com slash ICM. 
if you play poker tournaments and you want to be good at final tables and not make errors, like I think a lot of the people at this final table did, you have to study. And this is a great program to study with. So check it out, jonathanlowpoker.com slash ICM. And I will talk to you next week.